You're listening to sermons from Church on Bayshore in Niceville, Florida. Our mission is to do whatever it takes to see people believe in Jesus, belong to God's family, and become who God created them to be, impacting the world for Christ. To learn more about our church and to find additional resources, including ways to connect, serve, and give, visit churchonbayshore.org. Amen. Let's pray again. God, you are such an awesome God. You are wonderful. You are faithful. In this very church family, there is testimony of your faithfulness from generation to generation. God, the culture may change. Things about our world may change, but you stay the same. You prove yourself over and over and over. And so God, today, in the things of our life that might seem big, May we just come to a place where we are humbled in your presence of an all-knowing, ever-present, all-powerful God. And may may we say to you, Lord, do what you would see fit in my heart and my life. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, if you are here this morning uh, and it's your first time with us or you're watching online for the first time, we are so grateful that you are here as our guest and we would love to make a connection with you. You can text the word CONNECT uh, to 850-600-6779 and one of our CONNECT team members will follow up with you this week. I also want to make mention, uh, we uh, talk a lot about how God is using uh, this church uh, to impact uh, not just our community but the nations through the generosity of the uh, the people who are part of this church family. And as we talk about that, I realize there may be those of you who have a desire to be generous, to be used by God, um, but um, you're in a place, whether it's debt or just poor money management, that you can never find yourself able to really live that kind of life. And and starting next Sunday, we have an equipping class uh, led by the Gallaghers that is devoted to uh, biblical principles of money management to help you get to a place of freedom uh, and really God using you uh, to be a generous person for the kingdom of God. And so I'd encourage you, if that's you, uh, that you would check out uh, those classes. And I encourage everyone uh, to be here next Sunday night. Uh, for our vision night that's at five o'clock on Sunday evening and uh, we'll have a fellowship afterwards so we'll have some good time uh, together but we will celebrate all that God is doing and talk about things that God is leading this church family to do as we move forward Uh, so please make plans to be at vision night I think the verse that is our focal point uh, for uh, our text today uh, is uh, a vision a vision statement for our lives. Philippians 1.21, for me to live as Christ, to die is gain. We almost titled this series to live as Christ instead of our brand because our brand is Christ. That's what we want to be known for. We're going to look at other verses today, but really as we do, we're just expounding upon the idea In this verse, as you read Philippians, you are really just reading an expansion of that verse. And I'd say all of the Bible is really just an expansion of what is said in Philippians 121. For me, to live is Christ, to die is gain. We all have an answer to what it means to live and what it means to die. To live is something and to die is something for each of us. What is it for you? To live 
is what? What is in that blank for you? Is it experiences? Is to live? Is success your vision? Is it to live is your interest? To live is soccer or to live is baseball or to live is basketball? To live is music or to live is dance or to live is band? Is it a team? Is to live your favorite college football team? And if it's the Florida Gators, the living isn't very good for us right now. (laughs) Is it some interest of yours, that Disney life or that camping life? Is it to live is a relationship? To live is family or to live is to leave a legacy? To live is something for you. And to die is something for you. To die is what? What is in that blank for you? Is it to die is scary? To die is lonely? To die is the end? Maybe it's to die is escape. To die is vengeance. To die is pleasure. Or to die is heaven. To live and to die is something for each of us, even if we don't articulate what it is. Paul says, and the Bible says, that the Christian should answer, for me to live as Christ, to die is gain. Paul says, for me, in verse 21, because he is expounding upon his mindset regarding his current situation to the Philippians which includes imprisonment and according to verse 20, the possibility of death. Yet he is rejoicing because he has seen the gospel go forth among those without Christ and he has seen the church strengthened. And this delights Paul regardless of his circumstances because for him to live as Christ and to die is gain. He goes on to say, and we'll look at verses 22 through 26 this morning. He goes on to say, If I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Now, before I talk through the idea that life is Christ and death is gain, I I want you to notice Paul's articulation of how he feels about life and death. Look at the second part of verse 22. He says, yet which I shall choose I cannot tell. And then look at verse 23 right after that. I am hard-pressed between the two. Clayton Croy says that Paul uses a common rhetorical device called dubiation. A writer or speaker would feign uncertainty concerning two options. This emotionally pulls the audience into consideration of the options discussed. Paul wants the reader to feel the appropriate feeling. We are conflicted between life and death. Heaven sounds awesome, but this life brings with it a lot of awesomeness too. If a believer dies, we know that they're in a better place, 
but they aren't around us anymore. Albert King wrote the much-covered song lyric, everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die. If you feel like this, it is okay. (laughs) In fact, it's not only okay, it's from God. If you don't feel this way, we'll address that in a few moments. God has a purpose for you here and wants you to be fully present. And at the same time, God's purpose for you is to be fully in his presence. God has a purpose for you here and wants you to be fully present here. And at the same time, God's purpose for you is to be fully in his presence. In the same way that we might feel visiting a family member who lives elsewhere while believing where we call home should be home, that's how we are to feel about our lives. We enjoy being with those people. We enjoy that, but it is not our home. Those who are abiding in Christ feel a draw to live and a longing to die. The first point I want to make this morning is that to die is gain. Paul says in verse 21, to die is gain. So you see how I came up with my point this morning. People think about death and much has been written about dying, avoiding it, and embracing it. Not just today, but throughout human history. Many writers in the day of Paul wrote about the terror of death because they did not have the hope in an afterlife the way that we do or many even who aren't Christians do today. And throughout American history, death has been something central to our society, economy, and activity. In his 1973 book, The Denial of Death, cultural anthropologist Ernest Becker says, the idea of death, the fear of it, haunts the human animal like nothing else. It is a mainspring of human activity, activity designed largely to avoid the fatality of death, to overcome it by denying it in some way that is the final destiny for man. And so what we see is we see a lot of our activity and even industries built around ignoring, escaping the reality of, and trying to prevent death. Now, until the 1960s, which brought about a rapid um, increase in home sizes and the increase of two people working in the home, people used to see death more often because typically families would live together, not just the immediate family, but parents would live with you. And so you would see aging parents and you would just be around death more often. Families did not typically live in different towns or different states as much as they do today. And so again, you would see death more often even when you are young. Death is not in our minds as a society as much as it used to be. And part of that is because we don't want it to be. But regardless of how much we might try to ignore it or avoid it or put it out of our minds, there can be a lot of questions about existence, but some things are certain, like death and taxes. It's tax season, so I have to remind you of that. And one thing that distinguishes Christians that is certain about death for us, that is at the core of Philippians 1.21, This is at the core of this letter, that is at the core of the Bible, and the core of what it means to be a Christian is that death is gain. 
Paul says in verse 23, my desire is to depart and be with Christ for that is far better. Paul says his desire, his epithomia, which is a word that is actually often translated lust. So his longing, his passion is to depart. That's to leave a place. It's likely a nautical term referring to a ship leaving its port. And he says, my desire is to depart the port of earth and to set sail and be with Christ for eternity. Paul longs to leave his earthly body and be with Christ. He says, for that is far better. That's an amazing statement. Better. Better than the friendships that we have in school. Better than falling in love. Better than hugging your wonderful children and see them grow. Better than the promotion that recognizes your hard work and alters your family's lifestyle. Better than a well-deserved retirement and grandchildren. Better. Not just better, far better. 100,000 times better. Infinitely better. Marcus Bachmuel says, death is not gain in the sense of escape, but in the sense of gaining more. Death gives us more of Christ. Death gives us more of Christ. A.T. Robertson writes, all that death can do for Paul is to give him more of Christ. That's why he lives the way he lives. We have seen great heroes of the faith and how this mindset fuels extraordinary lives. This is how Paul could have the perspective he has about his trial. This is how Stephen could be stoned and say, God, do not hold this against those who stoned me. This is how German pastor Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was killed in a concentration camp for being against the Nazi regime, could say, death is not bitter if we have not become bitter ourselves. Death is grace, the greatest gift of grace that God gives to people who trust in him. This is how Jim Elliott, who was killed in Ecuador by the people he was attempting to bring the gospel to, said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. In Proverbs 12, 28, God tells us, in the path of righteousness is life, and in its pathway, there is no death. There is no such thing as a memorial service for a believer because they have yet just begun to live. We have a lot of senior saints in our church. I realize in the next coming years that many of them will be going to be with the Lord. And while it brings great sadness that I will not see them here on this earth, I get excited to preach funerals. Now, don't take that out of context. Here's why. Growing up in a non-Christian home with a lot of non-Christian family, it was sad. But here, with the people who love Jesus, it's a celebration of them seeing more of Christ. And it is a great joy to celebrate that. I hope you have a fulfilling life on earth. I hope that you are able to experience a great childhood if you're young. I hope you have a wonderful marriage. I hope you have children who enjoy life and who enrich your life. I hope you have prosperity. 
I hope you are able to serve God and see great blessings from serving God. And I personally hope you get to do some fun things. But to quote Stellar Cart, an early 2000s punk rock Christian band, yes, that's a thing. Life is good. Eternal life is better. <laughs> life is good. Eternal life is better. I've, I've heard it said, don't be so heavenly minded that you are no earthly good. And to that I would counter and be, say, be so heavenly minded that you are earthly good. Realize how great eternal life is in Christ Jesus and let that fuel a great joy-filled life right now. To die is gain. And in view of that, to live is Christ. That's our second big point this morning. Paul says, for me to live is Christ. See, I'm very original in the points that I make up. Verse 21, for me to live is Christ. Death is better. Death is better. And the only way that we can say that, the only reason that it is better is because of Christ's death. Because of Christ taking our sin, dying the death we deserved. And because of Christ's power to rise from the grave and promise us a resurrected life in him. So because of Christ, death is better. So since the only reason that death is gain is because of Christ, then to live ought to be for Christ. Therefore, to live is Christ. And Paul talks about what that means in verse 24. He says, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. It is better for me that I depart and I am with Christ. It is better for you that I stay. Now that's debatable when it comes to me, so let's just say that as a general principle. To you, you say this, it is better for me that I depart and I am with Christ. But then you say this, it is better for them, it is better for you that I stay. This needs to be at the core of you understanding your purpose. Christian, God has you here for the benefit of others. God has you here for the benefit of others if you are a Christian. Heaven is better for you. There is no prayer request for bum knees and aching backs and sicknesses that won't go away in heaven. It's better for you. Heaven is better for you emotionally. There is no anxiety in heaven. There is no heartbreak and heartache and rejection in heaven. Only joy, only delight. Heaven is better for you spiritually. You are on the mountaintop and you never come off in heaven. Departing and being with Christ should be our longing and our desire. And we should therefore recognize the only reason that God still has me here is because it is better for others that I am here. God wants to use you in their life. And yet what I found 
is we lose sight of this. And I would say that we become like people who work at a prison, who are able to clock in and clock out and go home. And our job is to come and and guard and help rehabilitate and ultimately bring people to a place of freedom. But we are free. But then we go in and we stay. And we lock ourselves in the cell. Not enjoying the freedom that Christ has called us to live. When I am in the flesh, I am tempted to think that purpose comes from success. I am tempted to think that purpose comes from experiences. I am tempted to think that purpose comes from physical pleasure. I am tempted to think that purpose comes from recognition. But when I'm in the spirit, I realize that everything and every relationship and every ability I have is so that God would use me for the purpose of Christ. For me, to depart and be with Christ is far better. But then I look at my children, and I think it is better for them that I'm here. And I look at the people that God allows me to minister to, and I think it is better for them that I am here. And I am sure for you there are similar feelings about people in your life and what feels like callings in your life. And so our resolve should be like Paul. Verse 22, if I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. The flesh means the physical body. He says, if I'm still in this body, then I'm going to be fruitful. Paul says, if I'm alive, I'm going to be effective. A Christian wants their earthly life to make an eternal difference. A Christian wants their earthly life to make an eternal difference. I've heard Mary Wright and other senior adults in our church say of the last, what they perceive to be the last years of their life, I just want to be useful. I want my life to make a difference for God's kingdom. We are called to be faithful to God. And part of that faithfulness is doing what we can within our power and our strength to ensure that that leads to fruitfulness. Now, I've noticed amongst younger people and maybe intellectual people that often we get really focused on faithfulness and we're scared to define what fruitfulness might look like. And probably out of a reaction to the church growth movement and the overemphasis on materialism and all those things in our culture and, you know, egos, we, we tend to avoid saying like, hey, if we're faithful, you know, there should be impacts. It should be fruitful. But these things are not at odds. Faithfulness and fruitfulness are not at odds. Faithfulness leads to fruitfulness. Now, Paul sees this. Look at what he says in verse 25. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. Now, to be clear here, when we talk about fruitfulness, we aren't talking about growth for growth's sake. There's a lot of big churches that don't preach the gospel. There's a lot of earthly successful people that God isn't blessing them. Paul defines fruitfulness. This is what he says, your progress. He means your maturity in Christ and your joy. He says joy should be increasing in you and not just arbitrary joy, joy in the faith. Learning about who Jesus is and finding joy in him and that should be progressing. He's saying my life 
is fruitful if it means that you are also becoming more fruitful. People coming to know about Jesus and people learning more about Jesus and that resulting in a life lived for Jesus. And how you can know if this is about hype and feelings and emotion or if this is really about eternity is how our mindsets are when there is affliction, when things aren't working easily. Glance back up at verse 12 in chapter one. Paul says this, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Paul is okay with the fact that his life is about trial right now because he sees the trial being used to spread the gospel and to strengthen the church. And so he's okay with that because for him to live is not success or earthly freedom or experience he he wants out of life. For him to live is Christ. In chapter three, verse eight, Paul will say this, indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Paul says, there are things that I have lost out on in this life because of God's calling on my life. But all those earthly, worldly things I count as trash because I know Christ. Now look at our last verse this morning, verse 26. Paul says this, so that in me, you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus. Paul says, I'm staying on this earth to be fruitful so that you would have reason to glorify Jesus Christ. He says at the end of that, because of my coming to you again. He says, I think God has me here on this earth still. And the reason he has me on this earth is to come to you and for that to result in the glory of Jesus. This is our aim. Our life resulting in the joyful progression of others that causes them to glorify God. This is our goal, Christian. This is our brand. Our life resulting in the joyful progression of others that causes them to glorify God. This is the goal, Christian, for your children's life. Not simply that they would do well academically, athletically, or whatever activity and passion it is. Not that they would find their one thing that makes them a unique individual, but that they would glorify Jesus Christ because of you. Our hope is that maybe because of us, at least in part, the people that God placed around us at work and on our street and in our school would glorify Jesus because of the life that we lived. Our hope is that the non-believers in our family, not that we would be able to keep the peace with them or that we would ensure we keep a piece of our inheritance from them, but that they would find peace in Jesus Christ and maybe at least in part, we're why. That our church would not be where we get what we want out of church, but because of us being a member of this church for however long we were there, others glorified Jesus. That's our aim. And then collectively as believers, we want God to bless us and work in our church and have us here, not so that we can say, look what we did, but so that the world would say, look who Jesus is. That's the aim. That's the goal of our life.
To live is Christ. And so when you die, I know this is cliche, but you're probably going to have a tombstone of some sort. And on that tombstone, there's going to be your name. If you're John A. in here, I don't mean to scare you today. (laughs) He died a long time ago. And there's going to be a date at the beginning and a date at the end. And in the middle, there's the dash. And that's the most important part because that impacts what happens after that last date. And look, I get to go to wonderful Beautiful memorial services, celebration of life, funerals, whatever you want to call them. Where we remember great people, people who meant a lot to me, meant a lot to their family, of course. And every time there's a family meal afterwards, and we talk about how much that person meant. And I heard another pastor say this one time, and then eventually somebody says, Hey, could you pass me another piece of the fried chicken? And people move on. At best, your life and who you were and your uniqueness will be remembered for two generations. If you have a lot of money, you might get your name on some school or church and three generations later, everybody will wanna take it down. But what you do for eternity lasts forever. Last forever. And I'm not telling you that if you follow Christ, everything will be roses and I don't know, buttercup. What is buttercup? Peanut buttercups. Those are good. (laughs) But here's what I'm telling you. For believers, this is as close to hell as you're going to get. And for non-believers, this is as close to heaven as you will get. For believers, this life and the pain that it might bring is the worst it will ever get for you. But for non-believers, this is the best it's ever gonna be for you. And I realize there are things in our life that might create discontentment for us. But look at Paul, imprisoned, beaten, and he's content, why? Because death is gain, and to live is Christ. Paul, A.T. Robertson said, leads us to the rendered life and finds the utmost peace and power in it. It is the victorious life in the truest sense. Mere existence is not real life for Paul. To live is Christ. Now look, there are things, tensions that you will have to manage, debates that you will be in, right? Like these are things that are important, the end times, right? Like, those are things that matter. School. There's the debate of homeschool, public school, private school. How men are saved, and women, for clarity. How much you should miss church for travel or the sports that you're involved in. How you do church. These are all things that we have to wrestle with. And I'm not saying that as we wrestle through these things, there aren't some clear things in scripture that we need to change. But here's what I'm saying. In all of the tensions, in all the questions of your life, here is your resolve. To live is Christ. Because to die is gain. And may we, like Paul, say this. 
I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. If we will resolve to live like that, God will prove to be fruitful in our lives. And we might look at our life with the world standards and even comparing people who are Christians and evaluate. And we tend to think because I'm not good enough at this or because I've made these mistakes, these are the things gonna hinder me. But the pastor Billy Sunday said, more people have fallen because of a lack of purpose than a lack of talent. If your purpose is to live as Christ, God keeps his word. Church, our purpose collectively must be that to live is Christ. I believe in what God's doing here in this church. We need to be thinking about what do our buildings look like? What do our outreach in the community? What does our staff look like? How can we get better at all of those things? But our business is Christ. There are giant, beautiful cathedrals in Europe that are closed because the people of God forgot to live is Christ. Look, there are struggles in our life, but when we die, it is gain. And so God, you love me, and it will be better for me there. I realize you have me here so that you will be glorified in the people you've placed around me. And non-Christian, and I don't just mean the person who's never said I trust in Christ, I mean the person who's never trusted in Christ, even if you've said it. Even if you've walked the aisle, even if you've been baptized, your purpose in life is not Jesus. I don't mean to scare you, but this is as good as it's gonna get for you. And so you have two choices. Eat, drink, and be merry and enjoy this life. Or realize that voice, that conviction, that you were created for more, that you cannot avoid, that you cannot escape, that you cannot run from, will not stop. And realize that you've taken the life that was intended to be long to Jesus and you've said, I sell it for these things. And Jesus has bought you back through his blood on the cross because he loves you. And realizing his mercy, surrender to him today. To live is Christ, to die is gain. Heavenly Father, to depart and be with Christ is infinitely better. I know this, we know this, because you did not spare your own son. That shows us how deep the riches of Christ are for us that you would go to that length to secure it for us. And so our hope is in the death and the resurrection 
and the promised return of Jesus Christ. We know that you're for us and so life will be better eternally with you and yet you have us here. Open our eyes, give us your heart to live our life so that others would progress and have joy in the faith of Jesus Christ. I pray this in his name, amen.